This is Top Floor, episode 109. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 109. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Unlike many of us in travel and hospitality, Alex Sharp has only ever had two jobs, working first for Regent Seven Seas Cruises and then for Signature Travel Network, where he's been president for the last 10 years. Alex says he has more than 200 bosses referring to the travel agencies that each own one share of Signature Stock. When this year's shareholder meeting in Maui coincided with devastating fires, Alex struggled to figure out what to do. Today, we are going to talk about that and about how to do good through travel. But before we do, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals with burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Rahul. And Rahul asks, how can I move from a sales to an operations role? So Alex, I thought this would be a good one for you because you were a sales leader at Regent and then moved into a chief operating officer, operations officer job at Signature. So hopefully this is a good one for you. What do you think? Sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, It actually started in revenue management, then went into sales at Regent and then back into operations and other things at at Signature. You know, I think it's important whenever whenever you're working to play your role, right? So I think that's really important. So if you're the chief financial officer, you should probably be a pain in the rear, right? You should be, (laughs) you should be meticulous. You should be, if you're a salesperson, you should probably be pushing the envelope. But recognizing and identifying that not you know, that there are gray areas, right? That there are other things I think is important. And and when done properly, I think it readies us for the next role. Being able to appreciate what the operations people do as a salesperson or vice versa will get you prepared to do that job. And, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing. I, I love promoting and moving people internally. You know, the best leaders are the ones that have experience a little bit of a a number of different departments and areas. And so I think it's critical not to get pigeonholed into one thing and to really branch out and and push the envelope into other areas of the business so that you can learn and fail and learn some more and then succeed. That learn piece is the imperative one too. I think if you do a good job of demonstrating that you are eager to learn and a quick learner, then you're leadership is going to give you any opportunity that you raise your hand for. If you're a a nice person and can learn, the sky is the limit. It's those folks who put a wall up around what you know their position is and not taking any step further that I think gets stuck or pigeonholed. 
I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I mentioned in the intro that you've only worked for two companies in your career. So I have to ask you this. I am the most restless and sort of like peripatetic ADHD type personality that exists. I have to know how you stay engaged when you do the same job for long periods of time. Like you've been president of Signature for 10 years, almost 11 years, something like that. How do you keep the fire burning as it were? I think it was particularly easy at at Regent because we were a startup. I was employee 17. So, you know, in the, in the corporate office. So every time something came up, I just, you know, raised my hand and got to learn (laughs) something new um, you know, and people would say, sucker, sucker, why are you doing that? But the, uh, so, so it was really, I went there thinking I'd work there six months. I was, I, I fashioned myself as an entrepreneur. I thought I'd come in, kind of learn the cruise business grassroots. And then I would, you know, create a company or develop something that could help cruise lines. That's what I, that's where my mindset was. And I stayed at, at Regent for 14 years. Uh, because I was able to just keep raising my hand and do something new. The other thing I would say about travel, which you well know, is there are more outside influences in travel than any other industry, right? Everything goes wrong. (laughs) You just have to find your way through it, right? I mean, you know, you mentioned the Maui fires or an ash cloud in Iceland in 20, you know, whatever that was, 2011. Who knew that shut down Europe? Or, you know, had COVID or, or before that other pandemics more regionalized that we had to deal with or terrorists or terrorist events. So there's always something that you, a puzzle you have to solve, right? How do we create value for the customers? How do we educate the customers? And that's really what I look at now at Signature. You know, Signature's challenges is different. But as you mentioned, I have essentially 206 bosses, right? I have 206 travel agencies that are part of our cooperative. The dark days during COVID where people would call me and we'd go through their payroll report to figure out how they were going to make payroll next month or next quarter, right? How they were going to apply for PPP or ERTC credits, you know, the government funding stuff, or just, hey, when we come out of this, Alex, I want to go in a different direction. I want to sell more a lot of people, including me until recently, probably think that the internet has done away with travel ag- like travel agencies and travel agents as we knew them growing up. Like I remember my parents going to an office and sitting with a travel agent to talk about a trip. Can you explain the current state of travel advisors and what has changed? Sure, I can give it a, a good shot. You know, I think the first thing is you mentioned two things there: travel agents and travel advisors. There's been a big shift. Agents, in my mind, are people who work on behalf of partners and book trips. Advisors are like your financial advisor. You know, they're they're understanding what you want. They're looking at the big picture. They're trying to optimize your time and your money, and they're planning in many cases, multiple trips, right? Over a period of a year or two years saying, okay, here are your list. This is the time you have available. This is what we want to do. So I think certainly during COVID, we really morphed more into that advisor role. You have people now charging fees for their services and their expertise. I think COVID reminded 
consumers that having an advocate was so important. They didn't understand whether it be COVID regulations or just flights or trying to knit all these trips together, there was more trepidation. So they wanted an expert. And so the value of a travel advisor has never been higher, in my humble opinion, because of the work that they did during COVID. Now, in terms of this notion of, you know, everything's online, well, that's where travel advisors live, many of them. I mean, we have some agencies that are 100% online. Now, I'll tell you that if you're buying a contemporary cruise at, you know, $700-$800 or a hotel stay or something like that, you might very well transact online. And travel agencies will do that and take care of that booking and follow it behind the scenes. To say that travel advisors are dead is, is just, you know, I think people don't understand where and how they operate. Maybe we're in the shadows. I don't know. But we're getting a lot of business and doing some great work. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I went on the probably the first ever trip this summer that I didn't plan myself. I went on... I got invited to go on this um, trip to Alaska. It was a tour planned by Cherish Tours, which is a company. There is now, I think more than ever, a currency of time that is so worth the investment in a travel advisor. And y'all, Alex is not paying me to say this. People have talked about ChatGPT replacing a travel advisor. Can't I just put it in and it'll tell me? But does it know that that day is a Sunday and that none of the stores are open? Or does it know that you know that week there's a festival in town that might make it more complicated. So I just think, you know, even when I think of our travel advisors, we we try and make sure they have a backstop. You know, quality partners, uh, destination information, all this content. But even then, I look for a specialist within it, right? If I'm going to Africa, I want an Africa specialist. I want someone who's been there 10 times, who knows the lodges, who understands the right time of year, that can tell me the do's and don'ts. Is it about saving a dollar or saving a day? I would tell you the day is more valuable, right? And so there are many different ways that I think they contribute. But thanks for the uh, the endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you jot down that saving a dollar or saving a day tagline and use that again. That's really good. I'm going to take note myself. <laughs> In 2019, you created Travel Elevates, inspired, I think, by a trip to Kenya that trip resulted in raising money for a new computer lab. What is the foundation? What's the purpose of the foundation? Yeah. So I would say the inspiration has come from all my travels and this realization that when you can give back while you travel, the travel is just more valuable. And I'll give you some examples. But in, in 2019, when we started Travel Elevates, there was really two missions. There are two missions of, of the foundation. One is to identify and fund great projects for NGOs or, or nonprofits in these far-flung destinations where our guests go. And we focus on two areas because you, you can't boil the ocean, right? We found two areas that were important to our group. One was childhood education, right? So I think everyone can get behind that. And the other one was um, women businesses, creating sustainable, empowered women businesses. And and there are a million other great causes, but we let other foundations kind of do that. And uh, so what we do is we fund four, five, six grants annually 
So we'll get 30 or 40 applications. We'll identify the ones that we think are best and then we'll fund their projects. The really cool side is how do we aggregate all of the different things that are available around the world uh, for customers to engage in? And I'll give you an example. So there's volunteerism. There's people that far better than me who go for 10 days and plant trees and, you know, Mongolia, I don't know, right? And there are people that go and and are doctors and go to Haiti and work for two weeks. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is you go to Africa and I'll use our our trip as the example. We took 50 travel agency owners and their guests. It was our incentive trip. And we went with um, our partner, Makata Safaris. And when I tell you, it was a safari of a lifetime. Right. I mean, you talk about the big five. Oh, I saw the big five. We saw the big five eat. We saw the big five mate and mate <laughs> and mate. We saw the big five in trees. We saw hunting. We saw everything. And every one of those people would tell you the highlight of the trip was the last half day, right? Where most of ours are killing time waiting for that late night flight out of Nairobi, right? We went to Makuru which is a slum of a half a million people living in horrible conditions. And Mikado has built a center there. Think of Boys and Girls Club, mm-hmm. right? It's the only place with grass within miles, right? This is Kenya. It should be all beautiful and green. It's mud and dirt everywhere else. You get there and it's this oasis. And we got there and we met these kids and we read books with them and we drew with them. We did these things and they had a computer center and a library and there was an empty building. And my members said, what are they using the empty building for? And I said, I don't know. And the owner came over, Dennis Pinto, who, who is the owner of Mikado Safaris. And he said, we had another small nonprofit in there that we had to move to a bigger location, but eventually we're going to make this a computer center. He says, look, there's a line of people waiting to get into our computer center to, you know, do send a resume, fill out an application, whatever it is. So this will be the next one. And a handful of them said, we'll, we'll buy it. We'll do it. And I said, oh, wait a second. Wow. Slow down. And they said, no, no, no. This has been the greatest day. And these are people in the travel business, right? right? This has been our greatest day. Whatever the cost is, Alex will figure it out. We'll pay for it. And we fundraised. And in two months, we raised $150,000 and built this 50 computer center with air condition and state-of-the-art equipment and teachers that we funded and the whole thing. And that ended up being, you know, a year later, COVID hit and three teachers headquartered in there on different ends of the place. And they taught remote learning for the oh, entire wow. Right? So it was just so fulfilling. That's really the essence of, of Travel Elevates. We're going to send a million people on vacation this year. How many of them can we make have a meaningful, a truly meaningful interaction that benefits the destination? benefits the traveler, and ultimately will get repeat business for the advisor as well. Absolutely. You mentioned... That was a long answer. Sorry. <laughs> you <laughs> mentioned packing supplies to bring to Maui. And I think that you partnered with Pack for a Purpose for that. Is that right? Yeah. Can you talk about that organization? I can't... We can't not mention them. It's so interesting. Yeah, there's there's this lovely lady, Rebecca, who started Pack for a Purpose. Um, she she runs it on 
uh, interns who she pays with chocolate chip cookies, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable um, how she leads with her heart. What Pack for Purpose does is they just link to their website and then they download, they create a list with the hotel. What do you need today? And that list changes. Is it medical supplies? And if so, exactly what are you looking for? Is it school supplies? Is it clothing? Whatever it is. And so it gives every customer the opportunity to, and travel advisor to reference the site, download a list and say, I'm going to take five pounds of something and I'm going to pack for a purpose, right? We did that in a much bigger way for Maui. We, we packed extra bags, right? We brought bags and bags and bags and bags. But, you know, for any vacation, right, to just 10 pounds can be a lot of stuff, right? If it's medical supplies or whatever it is, put it in your bag, deliver it to the hotel, they'll take it to to their charity. If we could just pack a few pounds when we go and not the pounds around my belly, but pack a few pounds in my suitcase, <laughs> uh-huh. then we've done something, right? And then yeah. if we have a chance to get more, we can. Then you have room to bring something home to remember your trip. So I know that this all played out in an interesting way for you really, really recently with your shareholders meeting in Maui. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I have to say, um, it ended up being just the most beautiful thing, right? I mean, amidst all of this tragedy in Lahaina, you know, um, and the pictures are just absolutely gut-wrenching to see, you know, we obviously were questioning whether we should be there and would we be in the way? Would we keep people from, you know, their mission of, of, you know, helping people in, in Lahaina, they're still looking for people, there's cleanup, there's all these different things. And and it was interesting to watch kind of everyone on the ground, their reaction, including the government folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Day one, the governor said, everybody out, just leave, get out. Within two weeks, the message had changed, right? From well, just West Maui's closed. We need, you know, we need tourism. They they were using numbers 85% of their economy is built on tourism, which seems high to me, but whether it's 60% or 85, I mean, it's a big number. And so once we knew we wouldn't be in the way and we knew we could have the meeting and it would help the locals, we went ahead. And I still had, thankfully, I've been doing this job long enough. I think people trusted us and they said, I have reservations, but I'm going. So I think we had maybe six or eight people out of over 400 that canceled. Everyone else went. And they didn't get to the hotel before they were validated. At the airport, in their taxis, I heard so many talks about tearful taxi rides and hugging and tipping, you know, crazy amounts of money, <laughs> thanking people. You know, it was it was so beautiful. I mean, Maui, to say they embraced us would be an understatement. But it gave our meeting purpose, right? And I think that's so important. We've had a great year that we were reporting on. We have great plans for the year ahead, but to surround that with purpose, right? To, to bring those supplies, we, we were going to do a fundraiser specifically for travel elevates. We immediately said, whether we go or not, we're going to take all the money we raised from the fundraiser and we're going to direct it to Maui. We identified three foundations in Maui that we thought were, were the right ones that would get the money directly to the people impacted. And we did a silent auction online with 29 items. We we asked people to give money. You know how much money we raised? Half a million dollars. Good in Lord. Four days. 
half a million dollars. These are travel agency owners. These people aren't rich. Mm -hmm. These are travel agency owners coming out of COVID, right? Now we've had a good year, but a half a million dollars, people writing checks, people bidding on travel that frankly they could probably get anyway, right? Half a million dollars they raised, the 7,000 pounds, the hundreds of community service hours that we did on Saturday. So many people were there. They wanted to do more. It's just somewhat restricted. You know, we weren't going to go to Lahaina. We were doing stuff at the hotel organizing. And it was, and even beyond that, right? The the money generated cost us a couple million dollars to throw that meeting, right? You know, when you think about all the hotels and the F&B and that kind of stuff. But one night we did a a, a local market. The, the One of the hotels hosted us, the Andas hosted us um, for dinner. And they brought in 15 or 20 local merchants that had not worked in a month since the fires. And they brought them in and they set up their little tables and booths out on the, you know, out on the grassy area right before the beach. And our people, you talk about, you know, we came with supplies. They went home with all these gifts. <laughs> their Christmas presents. <laughs> oh my gosh. From Maui Strong t-shirts, the artwork, the bracelets, the jewel, what all this stuff. They couldn't buy it fast enough because it was meaningful. Right. So everybody left with this deep feeling that they gave. Right. And that's, I think, I think most people in the world want that. Right. They might not identify that they want it, but when you present them with an opportunity to give back, they do it. They feel great about it and they get more in return than even they gave. Based on your experience, what would you say to people who are debating whether a trip to Maui, a trip to Hawaii is appropriate right now? 100% appropriate. Needed. Um, There is no doubt in my mind they will get more out of it today than they would have pre-fire even. I would say the same thing. Morocco. You know, while we're in Maui, Morocco has the earthquake. And the news, I get it, right? They're they're trying to help us Americans who are geographically challenged. So they find the closest city, which is Marrakesh. I was there in February, right? The Atlas Mountains, where the epicenter is, is over 50 miles from Marrakesh. There's no damage to any of our preferred hotels, the sites. The city is relatively unscathed, certainly shaken. Right, but relatively unscathed. The Atlas Mountains are terrible, right? And we're doing some work already there with our partner, buying tents and things like that for the people that live in the mountains. But this could crush Morocco for three years if people have this notion that Morocco is closed. Got it. And it's not Casablanca, you know, unaffected, Fez unaffected, all the rest of it. So I see our role as travel advisors as educators. You know, when Ebola hit the West coast of Africa, I had to show people on a map that it was closer to London than it was to Cape town. Right. You can still go to Cape town and you should. Right. So we have an opportunity, I think to be educators here and and we're going to do our best, but absolutely go to Hawaii. This sounds like a good time to take a break and learn about Cogwheel analytics. Cogwheel Analytics is a business intelligence tool for hotel digital marketing. Since the dawn of time, hotels have only been able to compare their digital marketing data against their own historical performance. 
With Cogwell Analytics, hotel companies can compare information across their portfolios in order to benchmark results. Because Cogwheel Analytics has mapped out data points for all the major brands from more than 20 different sources, hotels can stop creating manual reports and see everything from channel mix to social media to Cody, Expedia, and Google data all in one place. The time this saves gives marketers the chance to spend their time on things that actually matter, like strategy and action planning rather than creating spreadsheets. That sounds like a win to me. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit cogwheelanalytics.com. That's cogwheelanalytics.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of really specific practical tips that they can try either in their businesses or in their day-to-day lives. What do you think, Alex, are some things that an everyday traveler can do to leave a destination better than they found it? Like whether or not they are hooked up with an organization or a travel advisor who's making recommendations. Just what are some bare bones, common sense things you would recommend for a traveler? Yeah. I think two things come to mind. One is get educated on the destination, right? The the more we learn about destinations, the better people we're going to be, the more empathetic, the more understanding, right? Travel is that, you know, that's the that's the piece that fixes all these other issues in my mind, right? You you know, you meet somebody and you really understand a culture for the first time and all of a sudden you you look at them differently. You know, um you don't prejudge so I think that's one thing. I think being educated, certainly there's vacations where you just go to the beach, right? You just need to unwind and bring me an umbrella drink every 20 minutes until somebody passes out kind of thing. I get that. But when you're traveling versus being a tourist, when you're a traveler, be educated. The second thing is I do think there's always an opportunity to get back. Um, in, in some cases, if you're on your own, just maybe some of the things you might do at home. You know, in in Jerusalem, we went to we worked at a soup kitchen. Our family, so we just went in. It was two hours, served mm-hmm. lunch, and left. We met the most incredible people, the people that were coming to be served, but also the other people that were serving. I had no idea how many uh, high school and college graduate, you know, Jewish kids from the U.S. spent a gap year doing service, nothing but service in Israel. Right? We got to meet six or eight of them and, and got to hear all the different things that they did through their year. And I was just blown away by that. And I just had so much more respect for them for doing that. And my kids got to see it. And of course, then I said, well, maybe you should come back and do a gap year and then join the military for two years here so you learn how to make your damn bed. <laughs> I, don't know if they, I don't know if they bought off on it, but they. Uh, I think there's always an opportunity to get back. I had a guest on who met his business partner. Um, The guest was Omri Shalev. He met his business partner in the doing his military service in Israel. And he made the point that because it is compulsory, 
everyone in the entire country has an understanding of people who are very unlike them because they all go through this common experience. So everyone has this point of common ground and exposure to people who are unlike them. I mean, there is a lot to learn from the way that they do that. And they know how to make their bed and they're always on time because they were in the military, right? Exactly. Come on. Be great for our kids. How would you recommend that someone get into the business of travel advising? I think the best travel advisors are those that have a passion for travel, right? And and if you love Disney and that's what you love, there's a there's a business for you in travel, right? There are agencies that focus on just Disney because you think about how complex Disney is right? Knowing how to use the fast pass and when you go and how, what's the best time of year and which is the best hotel and all those things. Heck, I've been, you know, I live in Florida. I've been 20 times in my life and I still don't know, right? <laughs> so I look at that. So what's your passion, right? And, and, and following that. And certainly if you've traveled, that helps. That gives you instant credibility. But there's a lot of ways. There are still Main Street travel agencies, There are a number of what we call host agencies now where people are, you know, independent contractors, 1099s, like an Uber driver kind of thing, right? Where they affiliate with these organizations that are often affiliated with a consortia like us. Uh, They have a portfolio of product. A lot of them have turnkey, you know, websites for you and, and, you know, training and different things like that. And then you you know, they work on a, on a revenue split. You know, you generate a booking and you take 80% of the commission instead of 100. And I think that makes a lot of sense too. It makes it very accessible. But the two things are the passion and following it from a destination perspective. I think that's important. And the second thing is customers, right? If you're, if you have a very small group of friends and, and contacts, that's going to make it harder. You're going to have to think of a great marketing opportunity right to get your name out there but if you're you're you who knows everybody right it's pretty simple to slide into that and just make yourself you know put yourself in a position to be the the expert you know the the resource for folks and business will come because as i said before there's never been more demand for a travel advisor someone to knit it together for them and take care of the details so i think it's pretty accessible and we're seeing a lot of people come into the industry we did see some leave, certainly during COVID, and that's created a crunch because we're busier than we've ever been. But we're now seeing people come in. I know we've built what we call our Embark program, which is a pretty in-depth uh, training for new to industry. But a lot of host agencies have theirs that kind of run pel- parallel or complement ours. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but there's a number of different ways out there today. And so if I give you one resource, I would say ASTA. American Society of Travel Advisors. If you go on ASTA.org, they have a program right now that will take you right through the process and even help you with placement. Oh, that's amazing. I am trying to get my sister to become a travel advisor. So uh, that was a completely self-serving question. We have reached the fortune-telling portion of the show. So now you're going to predict the future and then we will come back later and see if you were right. What is a prediction that you have about the future of sustainability when it comes to travel? I'm kind of a, how should I say? I ruffle some feathers on this point. I think it's critically important. 
I don't know, you know, I think people want to travel with companies that are good companies that focus on the right things that do the right things. I don't think people are as in tuned with, I'm not going to take this flight because the emissions are higher than this flight or whichever. I think people are still valuing convenience and price and the rest of it over sustainability. But I think more and more and more people are only going to work with companies that are good stewards. Right. So I think it is critically important that they do it. I think sometimes companies spend too much time trying to commercialize what they do to validate the thinking someone's going to book because of it. I think you just have to do the right thing, get your gold stars, be able to show people who want to dig in that you are doing the right things, right? To innovate, to cut down on emissions, to exceed, you know, some of these, these rules that are out there that frankly aren't strict enough, right? Exceed those, those measurements, do better by the environment. I think people will come. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the luxury travel business, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, One thing about the luxury travel business, I think it would be educating customers that there is a diversity out there. So I'll tell you, I came from Luxury Cruise, and I thought we had a great product, and they still do. I think one of, if not the best. But I think there's some that just, they think, oh, it must be stuffy or it must be this. And frankly, what's happening with luxury, luxury now has gotten much, much more casual, right? And so I think taking some of the stigma off it that we're going to go on a cruise, on a luxury cruise, or we're going to go do a luxury vacation, it's going to be classical music and a suit every day, right? And, And that's just, A, that's not luxury anymore. And B... You know, if you want that, there are places for that. There are hotels that are still very much like that. There are experiences very much like that. But I would say the magic wand would be letting people know that they can have a luxury experience without being uptight, right? And and that it's accessible. I think that's really important. Excellent. What is next for you and what's next for your company? Wow. So next for me, I've got a lot of travel coming up. Um, Some cool things. I go to Scotland in a couple of weeks for a golf event. Uh, I'm most excited about a trip I have next year to the to um, to Thailand and the Maldives to celebrate my 25th wedding anniversary. It's so crazy. Thailand it has been coming up like 70 times in the last 24 hours for me. I think the universe is telling me I need to go. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Come on. Well, well uh, you know, I was going to say when when you're married to me, I need to find reasons for her to stay another year. So I plan <laughs> these well in advance. Nice. I dangle the carrot. I say, look at these beautiful hotels we're going to go check out or whatever it is. And uh, and off we go. We did Morocco for our 24th. Wow. And we're going there for our 25th. So that's really exciting. For the company, you know, it's, it's for us, it's really about continuing to serve. Um, I am hell-bent to to really make this travel elevates thing easy mm-hmm. for folks so that they can attach these little opportunities to every itinerary i just want to you know if you make stuff simple right they'll come and uh and so that for me because i think that really on every front commercial front doing the right thing front and so on 
it, it checks all the boxes. So for me, that's a real focus. You can tell because the way your face lights up when you talk about it. <laughs> okay, folks, before we tell Alex goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Alex, what's a story you would only tell on the loading dock? <laughs> Well, I have to say, there's probably a few. Um, from my cruise days, the world cruise folks were always the most kooky. <laughs> you know, you take a bunch of, I, what, what did I say before that, you know, when you're poor, you're crazy. When you're rich, you're eccentric. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of eccentric people that go on these four month long world cruises around the world. So it becomes this like universe of people that gets to know each other very well and sometimes intimately. Um, and I remember many years ago, I got a call and it was the, we had a bridge instructor on board. So I don't know how to play bridge, but you know, the card game bridge, so he was the bridge instructor and he was on with his, with his boyfriend or was his guest. And apparently one of our customers stole his boyfriend away <gasps> from him. Oh no. And, uh, and I at said, well, sea. at sea. So I said, okay, well, I will, uh, I will just call. And he says, well, he needs, we need to throw the boyfriend off the ship. He cannot be on the ship. You know, he was my guest and now he's staying in this other quarters, which was interesting because the gentleman who stole him away was also married to another lady who was 20 years older, but they set, stayed in separate rooms. So it was all very, very juicy. So I called, I called the customer and, and I said, you know, gosh, I, I understand that maybe, you know, you've have a relationship and he says, no, I've fallen in love. I said, well, well how does Mrs. So-and-so feel about that? And he said, we have an open relationship. And I said, oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, of course you so, do. Um, the, he said, well, it just, it's uncomfortable, right? Because he is actually on our manifest as a crew member, as a guest of a crew member. And now to be here, he says, well, I think he should be a full paying passenger and I will buy him a separate room again. And I said, deal. <laughs> so I called the bridge back and said, I just sold a $60,000 cabin for your boyfriend. I think we're going to be just fine. <laughs> Did you give the bridge guy and a commission me. at least? Or like send him a bottle of scotch to while away his troubles? Uh, I think we might have sent him some scotch, but I didn't send him a commission. And I felt horrible. But, you know, at the end of the day, at that time, I was a revenue management guy. And an empty bed is not a good thing, exactly especially on a full right. cruise. So. That's my funny story. Oh my God. I feel like that's a right for being made into a TV show as soon as possible. I have thought about that. When they relaunched Love Boat, I thought we should do it around a world cruise. But yes, yeah. it would be amazing. <laughs> Alex Sharp, thank you so much for being here. I know our listeners got some great tips and some great inspiration for their travels. And I really appreciate you riding with us to the top floor. I appreciate being here. This was a lot of fun. You made it fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 109. 
Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all-around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 